As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, Adult film stars, sportsman drag racers, the strip teaser, and the Saturday Night Hooker. Big Jed, how are you, my friend? Well, I am well. You got them all in there that time. I like it. Uh, things are good for Big Jed. Um, you know, just uh, typical stuff going on in my life, work, racing, um, trying to keep JJ focused between Monday and Friday before he gets to get back on the track because he's just chomping at the bit and he's <laughs> he's hooked up with the dream team now so he's excited about that he's going to get to race in the dream team challenge and um then you know here's the podcast and uh a lot of good stuff to talk about we we love talking about winners and great performances on the racetrack we're going to talk about plenty of that this week and we also have some uh, stuff that's uh, you know, can be a little controversial and a little more difficult to talk about, but that's what we do here, Luke, on the Sports and Drag Racing Podcast. We touch them all, baby. Whatever, whatever needs to be talked about, we do it right here. We tackle the hot topics, whether it's comfortable or not. To your point, Big Jed, big weekend on the racetrack. Uh, a lot of our discussion centers around Spring Fling a lot. Also had bottom ball explosion out in Kansas uh, that, that I was involved with uh, closely. Uh, four wide nationals in Charlotte. We'll touch on all of them. I think it's fair to say that the, the biggest stories from the week came from Galat, specifically Kevin Brannon. We talk about the heater that he's been on over the course of the last month. We have some, some hierarchy conversation, Big Jed. Where does Gary Williams rank all time? Dig into that a little bit. And then, of course, 
Oh boy, Big Jed, we had some we had some Dink Holmes disrespect, and <laughs> and and we got it. We got to touch on that as well. Well, I'm not sure if we did or not. Uh, well, whether we had to or not, we did. <laughs> so check it out. It's all a matter of opinion. <laughs> uh, either way, we're going to have all that discussion and plenty more. But first, P. Jizzle, for Rizzle. <laughs> All right, Luke, as we talked about, man, we got just a little bit of uh, everything to talk about bracket racing wise. We've got good top bulb stuff, good bottom bulb stuff. Let's start, Luke, with what is arguably the best series out there right now. And that is the Spring Fling series. The Fling was at Galat. And um, everything I could see, uh, I didn't get to watch super close, but everything I could see just looked like another really, really good fling event at such a beautiful facility. Galat, super nice, and um, a lot of great racing there. A lot of guys won some some big money. So let's talk a little bit about that if we can, and um, we'll let's breeze over the results. Uh, I don't know if you got to pay much attention to that event. Uh, Luke, if you got to, I know you don't watch online a whole lot. Did you get to watch much of that? A fair amount. Yeah. I caught the, uh, I got the tail end of most days. And then if not was, was picking up the the recaps the next morning while we were down in Kansas and kind of to your earlier point, I would assume just having been in the tower, you know, we, we've promoted races, Jed, like, and, and things can look really smooth on the outside, but on the inside, like at best, it's kind of controlled chaos. I think Pete's scheme is probably a, a touch above what, what we're accustomed to. At least I, I want to give them that credit, but it certainly looks from the outside looking in like that thing is a well-oiled machine. Yeah, there's no doubt. Obviously uh, I've had quite an inside track on that event for a long time and just behind the scenes, you know, when uh, Kyle was still around, uh, he and Pete were talking constantly about next steps. You know, they they really tried to get ahead of anything that you could see anyway potentially happening. Uh, there were always certain things you had to react to, but they're very proactive. And now Pete is continuing with that. And a lot of that was Pete anyway, because that's how he operates. But for the most part, uh, you you have a, a real clear uh, idea of how things are working there with the fling and uh just a just a well-oiled machine he tries to hire the best people he can hire he has plenty of staff a lot of staff which uh, has extra cost with it obviously but that's just the way peter likes to do it and he likes to make sure every uh, i is dotted and every t is crossed and uh, by and large it looks like another one lived up to those expectations luke and uh, this one started uh, the way a lot of them seem to start lately or end lately, whichever one, sometimes both. And that's with a, a win by our boy KB, the rabbit, Kevin Brennan, started this thing out with a $20,000 shootout win over Troy Williams Jr. And uh, just, I mean, what else can we say about KB, bud? The This role, like, I think it's easy to take, take KB for granted just because he's been so good for so long. But if you just zoom out for a second, what he's done over the last month, I mean, it starts with a $50,000 runner up in Montgomery in his Monza. 
Uh, fast forward a week, he obviously wins the Spring Fling Million in Vegas in a car they'd never set in before. And then what, just over a week removed from that, he wins this 20 grander in his dragster. So you're talking about three final rounds, not only for the most money available anywhere in the country on that given weekend, but also like, I think it's fair to say on the biggest stage anywhere in the country in any of those given weekends. And he drives three different cars to final round appearances. Like, I just don't, I don't, I'm out of superlatives. There's not, I don't know what else you say to that. It's incredible. It really is. It's a phenomenal run by him. And, um, you know, it looks like at the moment he's the hot guy in 2022. Uh, there have been plenty of big wins by some racers, but if you just take the, the season thus far in totality, uh, KB has, uh, he's collected a 10,000 or $20,000 win prior to this month long run that he's been on. And, uh, had some late round finishes. So KB looks to be the hot driver right now and, and getting his fling started that way was certainly just, uh, you know, another feather in his cap for 2022. And uh, we expect to see plenty more of that out of him. He's just super solid behind the wheel and just really seems calm and in control. But um, and let's cover a few more winners right here. Let's just, just touch on the winners list. And then there's some plenty of discussion to be had about, about what happened there at Galat. But uh, Timmy Markaglu, a uh, guy from up there in New York that, you know, we, we talked about Pete's influence on the, the crowd at the fling. And, you know, this is a guy probably never comes to a, to a race in North Carolina a big money bracket race, except for the fact that Pete puts it on. Uh, Timmy's done well at the flings. I think this is maybe his third fling win. He's won in Vegas. He's won uh, in, uh, on the East Coast in those events. So Timmy uh, getting the 15K warm-up win was a big deal for him. Got that win over Bob Engelman. Uh, Will Roberts, part of that Roberts racing group there that uh, Ronnie Roberts heads up. They're right down the street from uh, – from Galat and uh, that's their home track. So Will took his, uh, took his ride and got a $30,000 win on Thursday over Kevin Glenn, big win there for Will and the Roberts clan. Um, then uh, the $100,000 main event Luke was run on Friday and uh, that one had a Sarah in the final round, but it was not the Sarah that we've seen the most of in finals. This is the other one and he is equally as talented. This is a very talented young man and Sean Sarah getting that runner up, but a guy that just really knocked the door down. He runnered up a, a 20 grander at Galat or 21 grander, I think. 21 grander, get it straight. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Blackjack uh, runnered that one up the previous week at Galat's race, comes back for Friday only. Uh, he shows up Friday morning, gets a new entry time trial. Oh, wow. I didn't realize. Runs the gamut. Yes. Look, Dink Holmes. Um, gets the win there, the $100,000 win showing up Friday morning. And I mean, obviously a $100,000 win is uh, something to celebrate and, and be super proud of, but certainly uh, that was Dink's biggest win to date and coming off of a runner up in a 21 grander the week prior, really strong seven day stretch there for Dink and, and his crew. And, um, saw the winter circle interview uh, inside the tower the next morning or next day. And just a really solid young man, um, you know, 
talked about the mental aspect and believing that you can do it and kind of kind of sent a message out to everyone that if, if you you know if you just believe in yourself anything can happen it was a very inspirational part of the interview so it was really cool uh, I invite anybody to go look that up on the, the Spring Fling page if and when you get an opportunity, uh, but really happy there for Dane Combs and, and his family and friends that were around him. And then uh, Luke, it wrapped up again the way a lot of them wrap up or start off or both, and that's with a win by Gary Williams. G-Dub gets the $30,000 wrap up there on Saturday with a win over Brandon Lane, and Brandon turned it a little bit pink in the final. And uh, Gary Williams and the Williams group there gets another big win at a big race. And uh, there, there'll be a lot to talk about Gary here in a little bit. But outside of the, the KB domination that we've seen recently, uh, Luke, you know, there's a lot of hot racers. And Dink Holmes is definitely one of those coming off a $100,000 win. No question. And there's a lot, I feel like to unpack here uh, and some, some big stories or big talking points that I want to get to before we do. Like, I, I do think it's, it's worthwhile to mention it's the first time I believe uh, in, in fling history, first time in, in my memory, at least that there were co MVP awards uh, awarded. And, you know, if you're a listener to the podcast, you know, that we're a big fan of the, of the fling MVP, like in just that format in general, I'm not sure. I meant to do some some homework on this coming in, and I didn't. Uh, there's your there's your preparation, but I don't believe there's been a repeat MVP. And Kevin Brandon has been an MVP before, so to 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 do that, even though it's shared this time around, like pretty spe- special stuff. KB shared that honor um, at the Galat Fling with the aforementioned Tim Markaglu, and if our listeners will remember, Jed. Uh, two weeks ago on this show, I said, if there was an MVP from Spring Fling Vegas, I think it's a t- toss up between Jeff Sarah and Tim Markaglu. I think it's interesting. Both Markaglu and Kevin Brandon were in Vegas, made the tow or the trip in Kevin's case across the country to then compete at Galat. And they're both, you know, arguably the, 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 of the two biggest weekends at both events. And that's insanely impressive, like on different coasts, two weeks apart. And when you consider obviously the, the competition involved from top to bottom at those events, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned Tim Markaglu and his success. Like, I feel like not that that Mark Glue needed something like this to put his name on the map, but this is rare air that he's stepping into these last couple of weeks at Vegas. He didn't win a race, but he got as close as you could without winning multiple times. I mentioned that on the, on the show a couple of weeks ago, and then he knocks down the door at Galat. And obviously to, the way that that MVP consideration works, like you've got to not only, you know, win a day or be deep every day, like you've got to consistently not just go rounds, but be very impressive in the process throughout the weekend. And that by and large is what Mark Glue does. Like he just makes solid laps. He is super solid, Luke. And again, you know, it's Peter's influence that has him traveling all over the country doing this. So no offense to, to Timmy, but I didn't know who he was prior to the flings. And, and obviously he didn't just learn this sport. Uh, he's been doing this quite a while and doing it successfully. He got really good equipment and, you know, Timmy, again, I'm, I'm speaking a little out of turn here, but he don't need the money. I think Timmy's doing okay for himself. So maybe the money, what's at stake really doesn't 
affect him. You know, he just remains calm. He's just trying to turn on a wind light. What comes along with it's probably not a huge life-changing thing to him, even racing for some of the larger purses. So I don't know when, when I see him at an event, whether he's won or lost, he's still the same guy. He's just really enjoying himself out here and having a good time and obviously doing it at a high level when he gets an opportunity to compete. So uh, you, you've got him pegged, man, just super solid racer makes really good laps. And that's, uh, that's hard to beat. And it's, it's somewhat intimidating from the other lane. If you, if you get a real good picture of it, a real good view of it, and your guy's not seemingly bothered or, or wound up by anything, you know, that's, that's really not a guy you want to want to be facing. He's, he's just super calm and collected and goes out and does his thing lap after lap. At the bottom bulb explosion last weekend, we, we talked about this when we had John Moggins on the show a month or two ago. At the bottom of the explosion, we had a lane. Like if you if you pull into lane one, you want the left lane. If you pull into lane two, you want the right lane. If you pull into lane three, you don't care. Yeah. Tim Markaglue is the don't give a damn lane. <laughs> Just roll on up there and get you some. And there is, you you pegged it when we had Moggins on. Like there is an intimidation factor to that. And that's how that's how Marco Glue handles his business. It's just like I don't really care what you're doing over there. Like eat this. Yeah, that's I, you know I, I love the idea that don't don't care lane. Uh, and when there are when there's a badass in the right and a badass in the left, and and dude rows up in the I don't care lane. I don't care which badass I get. I'm not going behind either one of them. <laughs> like. <laughs> That's not who I want to stage against. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Not only do I want one of them badasses, I want to make sure they get the lane they want. So you just put them wherever they want to <laughs> Great be. Great point. And I'll pull in the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Great point. Don't even tell me where I'm going. I will know it's the one he ain't in. <laughs> Good stuff. I love it. Um, I think it's fair to say at this point, we're a few days removed from Spring Fling Galat. And at least in the aftermath, the biggest story didn't really happen on the racetrack. Like, did, oh boy, right? Oh, oh boy. The, the initial um, Spring Fling recap video had a, a glaring omission, Big Jeff. Oh boy. <laughs> we left out the $100,000 main event winner. Think Holmes, as you had mentioned before, which, oh, by the way, like, He's the one black guy that won. Like it just, it, it, it wasn't, what, what do we make of that? It got corrected very quickly. Like we, we can, we can cover all of this, but just on the cursory, like, Oh boy. Well, look, I, you know, I might have a different opinion. I understand the majority, the vast majority of people watching this play out have never put on an event or never been part of that that type of uh, uh, being that part of a staff or having that type of involvement in an event, whether you're the promoter or not, just a, just behind the scenes. So having done that now in my 16th year, I realized this can happen. It absolutely can happen. And, and we talked about this this week, Luke, and uh, this has nothing to do with race for me because I would feel the exact same regardless of the, the race of the, the individual impacted. But I just, this is not a huge deal to me. It, it is a huge deal to a lot. And I understand had it been my winter circle picture, 
that was omitted and and the guy that i beat put in that place and it's the biggest win of my life i understand exactly i'd probably be pissed off i i most likely would be pissed off but i have a a view of how these things can work sometimes and having done it for so long from a promotion standpoint i get how just something simple right this can like this can get by you after you've worked 16 18 hours a day at the event and then you you know the the time you put in prior to and trying to wrap up so i get how it can happen it certainly has a lot of factors around it that can heighten the issue a little bit and make it uh, look like something that it wasn't but i know pete and i know this had nothing to do with that so uh, certainly, uh, I hate it. I hate it for Dink because it's a, it was a huge moment in his racing life and maybe the biggest that he'll ever have. And it was really big. But Luke, I'm not I'm not a guy that goes through the results like that and looks at those things very closely. So I might not have ever known myself. But again, I wasn't impacted. So my view's a little skewed there. But again, I, I just I don't find it to be near as big a deal as some do. And that has nothing to do with who is impacted by it. We're in lockstep on, on two main points, Big Jed. The first being that I hope, I, it, to the extent that I feel bad for Dink Holmes, it is the fact that right now as we record this, I think more people are talking about this situation than they are talking about Dink Holmes winning 100 grand. And that's not fair to him, right? And, and yes. hopefully, hopefully in time, this is a blip on the radar and, and we, and we think back to the performance that that young man put on more so than, than the aftermath. Right. Um, and then I'm also completely in lockstep with you in saying that I am 100% confident that this was an unintentional oversight, right? Like it's a, it's a goof that looks really bad, but it's just a goof. Like we just screwed up. Right. And I think it's, I, like the, the, you listeners and, and those of you on social media, like you do realize that like Peter Biondo is not making that video himself. Like he's not mixing that together, right? Like this isn't necessarily a, a Peter ultimately. And, and Pete falls on the sword, right? Takes full responsibility for this. And ultimately it's his responsibility, but you know how this works, big Jed, as you said, like you you've got your hands in everything. This is a video that is 100% outsourced, probably, to someone that wasn't at the event that may not have a like hands-on knowledge of what happened at the event, right? You're just, you're, you're, you're mixing together files, right? And perhaps the wrong files in the wrong folder, or it's mislabeled or whatever, right? Should it have gotten caught? Yes. 100%. It, it didn't. Right. And to your point, like standing up for Pete, like the, to insinuate racism on in his end, like, uh, it's, it's very, you don't know Pete, right? Like, I mean, just to, yeah. to, to broaden the, the scope of this, like Peter Biondo drove for 20 years for Phil Monteith, who I don't know exactly Phil's background, but like, he looks like a black man, right? He, I think he is, he is a black man. He's from Jamaica. Right. But, and if anything, like the dynamic in that was, he was the owner. He was the, the, the money behind it. Pete was more the mercenary, you know, like it, it's like the reverse slavery dynamic, if you will. I, I don't want to get too deep into that, but 
and and then I think what what speaks more to to Peter's character is it is my understanding he was unbelievably proactive in the aftermath, reaching out directly to Dink Holmes and some of the the other players in this to just have what had to be pretty difficult conversations, conversations. You know, I mean, we're not sending an email saying I'm sorry, like you picked up the phone, right? And I think that says a lot in itself. So uh, to broaden out from for the whole. Uh, situation like what I hear from from my friend group if you could is like gosh this thing got so blown out of proportion like it's such a microcosm for society today you know everybody wants to make something out of nothing and I have a tendency to want to agree with that but I think it's easy for me to say like I'm a white guy right was this an honest oversight I think so like 100 percent but does that honest oversight happen if the $100,000 winner's white? I don't know. Like, I, I honestly, I think it is, it is easier to overlook in that situation. Like, I'll share this story, Jed. I don't, I don't know how this ties in, but I've, I've thought about this a lot this week. So if we go back in time to uh, the Moroso five-day or at that time, like the, the POM, the PBIR five-day, maybe 2011, so about a decade ago. It had been my dream for years, you know, since I was a kid watching the, the results of the five day. It was my dream to hold one of those checks. You know, they, they do the, the group winner circle picture at the end of the five day with each of the winners holding a check. And in that year's five day, I, I never won the, the main event at Moroso. But in that year's, they, they had the, the second chance races, the eighth mile races. And I won two of them, two of the, the five granders. And so they're getting, they're assembling that picture, which had traditionally been the main event winners. And they were like, Luke, get in here. So I get in this picture. I got my two $5,000 checks, you know, which don't mean as much to me as the one $10,000 check would have, but I'm surrounded by the, the main event winners. And it was Gary Williams. It was John LaBush Jr. It was Mia Tedesco, Shane Carr, Wesley Washington, all with their main event win checks. And I got my two five grand checks. Well, there was, and we take that picture and I thought, man, that's awesome. Right. Unbelievable. I, I got to be a part of that. Well, that five day, there were three of those second chance races. I won two of them. The third was won by Terrell Sinclair. Black guy. And he wasn't part of that picture. And I didn't decide that, right? Like I didn't not go invite Terrell to be there. Like I was honored to be a part of it myself, but I was, I was complicit in not including him. And I, in the aftermath, I thought, why wasn't Terrell in there? And, and I think it was an honest, like oversight, whatever, but, and you could argue, well, it's not about skin color. Wesley was in there. My, my pushback on that is at that time, and, and really to this day, Wesley was established, right? Wesley hung with the in crowd. It was Terrell's first big win on, on that stage, at least to my knowledge. And Terrell didn't really care about running with that crowd. Like he rode with his boys. And I just think it's, it, I think it's fair to say that it is more difficult for the up and coming colored racer, the, the Dink Holmes, to, to prove themselves or, or get notoriety in, in what is a, a white world, like let's let's face it. So I don't know. Like I, I'm probably drawing too much together there, uh, but I just 
does it play a role? I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know. But if you think it does, and I saw a fair amount of that on social media, if you think it plays a role, I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong. I guess my point is we all come at life in general from a, from a very unique perspective based on our own experiences. And I'm not quick to tell people how they should feel about this. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally get that. And I, I'm 100% with you. I would never tell anyone how they should feel. And quite frankly, a, a subject that has this potential level of sensitivity, um, typically, I would not even offer my opinion, you know, I, I would, I would leave this subject mm -hmm. alone. But sure. that's not how we do it here on the sports and drag racing podcast. It'd be easier not to talk about it, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it makes a difference to anybody, but I, I think it's, it's worth broadening perspectives and, and realizing that while we may not agree, like people could have a different take on this. Yes. I totally, again, I totally would understand. And I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that, that I would be upset and hurt by this. And I certainly can't understand the, the race part of it because I'm a white guy like you. And if I were replaced with the, the guy that I beat or the video didn't have me in it, then I would never say, oh, they didn't put me in there because I'm white. So I, I, I really, I don't understand and not, not saying I, I, I don't get it, but I, I don't, I've never lived that. So I don't really understand how, that makes someone feel that's a minority, maybe a but, female, a, a, a African-American or whomever. So. And I think part of it too, is like the, the quote unquote establishment, like for, for lack of a better word, like let's say that it's Gary Williams that's left off or Kevin Brandon, that, that his winter circle picture is left off of this. Like, I don't think anyone bats an eye because like, we all know how good those guys are. Right. And, and does that make any sense? Right. I, I don't, I don't know Perfect that that's sense. necessarily about skin color. It may play a role, but I think it is just the fact that this young man like goes and has what to this point is the marquee day of his career. And while I think the, the fling staff, the, the fling brand in general does an incredible job of making that a big deal and, and making it and creating notoriety for those winners this is one area in which the box blatantly doesn't get checked. And I, and I think it really resonates. Yes, perhaps to some extent due to race, but because like, this is that young man's first opportunity on this stage or first, first real breakthrough on this stage would be a better way to put that. And, and you're not giving credit where credit is due. So I understand the emotion behind it. Yeah, I get that hundred percent. And again, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a guy who really cares to see his name, you know, after he wins something good or whatever, but I ain't ever won a hundred thousand dollar race that I showed up for on Friday at, uh, at spring, spring, spring fling, excuse me, galat. So I don't, I will never fully understand Dink and how this affected him and how I made him feel. But this, this may come as a surprise given my background as a, as a shameless self-promoter. 
you write me that check, Big Jet. I don't give a damn how, where you want to plaster that. <laughs> Let me cash that yeah. check. We're, we're, yeah. we're good, man. We're yeah, give me, good. give me the, show me the money for sure. <laughs> but uh, reality is, I, I think uh, you you were spot on in that they make such a great deal out of the winners and how they plaster them all over social media and they just do a wonderful job of celebrating for the winner and then to get it wrong to miss it just heightened it so much you know it made it it made it so much more uh, evident and obvious so I hate it hate it for Pete I hate it the most for Dink because that's a huge day at the races and and that's uh that's honestly something that you might not ever do again you know you talk about kevin brandon and gary williams and if we left them out well reality is no offense to dink they might do it again next week because they're going to give themselves a lot of opportunities to do those types of things dink might not get those many opportunities he might be a working man he talked about having small children at home and in his interview and a lot of things going on in his life so that could definitely impact his chance to do it so hate that i hate how it all turned out for everyone Luke, this, you know, and I'm not making any excuses for Peter, but when he was a two-man team, when it was he and Kyle, these things probably got checked and double-checked, and, and somebody was always available to do it. And now, uh, not that he's a one-man team, he's got Emily, and he's got a lot of folks, a lot of great staff around him, but the two head guys, obviously, being at the top when Kyle was still around, this might not happen or probably doesn't happen, but it's easy to see how it can happen. And uh, I think Peter has done a really good job of, of trying to um, make amends. And uh, it looked to me like the, the people impacted, which is really all that matters. How everybody else feels doesn't matter. How I feel doesn't matter. I do have a platform that gets to talk about it, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the people impacted seem to have accepted Peter's apology and his outreach to them. And that's really all that matters to me. And I'm sure all that matters to Pete. So hopefully all is well. I think it's fair to say that the situation has been rightfully diffused. And then we just spent 20 more minutes throwing gasoline on the fire. So we'll stop. Um, it was, it was interesting. And this may have been fueled largely by what I think is fair to say was a, a pretty epic post-race winner circle interview with, uh, with, with, with Gary Williams' brother, Troy, following Gary's $30,000 win. But I saw a, a little bit uh, of conversation, a fair amount of conversation, actually, uh, on social media in the days following the Spring Fling Galat, specifically following Gary Williams' $30,000 win uh, on day number last on Saturday, about Gary's place in the the hierarchy, so to, if you will, of our sport, and specifically the idea that is it time to include or heighten Gary Williams' status in the conversation of the best to ever do this? Well, he's certainly part of the conversation. Now, do I feel like uh, we we know the the we know the hierarchy here uh, that typically gets discussed and that's obviously scotty richardson peter biondo when i look at the things that those guys accomplished Luke, and i thought about this uh, this week as we we knew we were going to have this discussion i thought you know gary from a number standpoint is as good as anybody's ever been 
I mean, this guy can lay down numbers and drive as good as anybody's ever been able to do it. So what would separate Gary from that uh, holy grail um, list? And to me, and I know this is going to come as a huge shock to everybody, the, the two at the top that we talk about the most have proven, and look, Gary's done his share of it too, but those guys won on the bottom, drove on the bottom as well as they drove on the top. They hit the bottom bulb and won championships and won in bottom bulb categories and then let go of the button, won in those categories, let one in, in categories that had to throttle stop racing. They, they were the most versatile of anyone we've ever seen in the sport. Gary is tremendous on the bottom when he gives himself an opportunity. He's really good, but he doesn't give himself many opportunities, nor does he choose a whole lot of bottom bulb type events over what he is obviously known for the most. So to me, he's definitely one of the best to ever do it. If he stopped right now, he'll be one of the best. And I don't know where that puts him on the list. I'm, I'm scared of list anymore these days. They get me in trouble. But um, the, when you talk about Scotty, when you talk about Peter, what they've accomplished in pretty much every type of racing that we do or watch or see just to me puts them at a level that's unmatched. And, um, you know, obviously Nick Hastings and Gary and a lot of other guys that are accomplishing a lot in the sport week after week these days and, and Jeff Sarah's and all of them, you know, they're tremendous, unbelievable. And they can match numbers with anybody, like I said, but these two guys just were at another level and to me. I don't know that anybody will ever match what they've been able to accomplish in the sport. When we start throwing around the title best of all time, to me, that's a, a total body of work. So we can, eliminate from the conversation today the the Jeff Sarah's the Nick Hastings the Johnny Ezell just simply because they hadn't been doing it long enough right and just like you Big Jed the hierarchy for me is always there's it's always been a, a 1A and a 1B right we've talked about it before it's, it's Scotty Richardson it's Peter Biondo and even in my mind I was trying to process this I'm like I think I'm to the point where I could say G-Dub is a clear-cut third right which is not to like, I have a hard time even saying that because GW and I are boys, like been tight for a long, long time. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I think it's the ultimate compliment. Um, but I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, well, we're talking body of work. We're largely talking accomplishments. And if you stack it up, like, I'm not sure there's a big, as big a gap as we might think between what Scotty Richardson's done, what Peter Biondo's done and what Gary Williams has done. Like what Gary's doing now is a little bit fresher on our mind because I feel like he's still in his prime. Scotty might push back if I say he's not in his prime. Like he shows up at the biggest races of the, the season every year and he's a threat. You know, he's been in multiple million dollar race finals in the last couple of years. Right. But I think by and large, we think of Scotty and Peter as a little bit outside of their prime. And if you take the, the prime years, there's some overlap, like Pete and Scotty started before Gary. Gary started a little bit later. And he's still going strong, right? Um, 
but I, I got to thinking about this. I put way too much thought into this, Pete. Like this was this was my ride home from Kansas, going down this little personal rabbit hole. And I thought, okay, well, if I've got Gary Williams as a clear cut third, like what would he have to do to to for me to to consider him number one, or you know, in that conversation with Scotty and Peter? And I I don't I don't think there's anything that he can do to put him there in my mind. And that I'm afraid says more about me than it does about Gary Williams. And I think to some extent, like obviously conversations like this are subjective, right? I think we're all jaded by perception, particularly in our, in our most um, um, formative years, if you will. Like, and for you, for me, when we came into this sport watching, like there was two guys that dominated and I literally went back and forth week to week. Like I would go to a race where Scotty was at and be like, Oh my God, like that dude's on a whole different level. I've never seen anything like it. And then two weeks later, I'd go to a race that Peter was at and like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you know what I mean? So it it just, it's gone back and forth for me for, for 20 years. So when I say I can't, I can't personally place Gary on that level. I think part of it is that, we're boys. Like I said, like we kind of, Gary was a few years ahead of me in the progression, but we kind of came up together wanting to become Scotty Richardson, wanting to become Peter Biondo. Right. And we had conversations along those lines. And Gary has always been like my biggest fan whenever I have success. And I think he's not paying any attention. Like I'll get a call out of the blue, you know, an attaboy and vice versa. Right. And maybe it's that kind of camaraderie that, that, idea that that we kind of came at this together in a similar mind frame and a similar you know worked our way up kind of together to some extent that won't ever let me see him as more than a contemporary right that won't ever let me place him on that pedestal like i say it may say more about me than it does about gary but i tried to to zoom out even a little bit more than that and i don't know jed that that this resonates today like for the for the the impressionable you know up and coming racer today because well i'll just say this like i still value the nhra stuff like i think that's my upbringing and 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 maybe that of racers my age like and it's not to say that gary williams couldn't do that i actually think his skill set is like unbelievably suited for specifically superclass racing like what he does best is what it takes to, to win those types of events. His skill set for Supercom Supergas would be amazing. He's just never pursued it because it never made any sense, right? Like to some on some level, Gary Williams has put food on the table for close to three decades now driving a race car. And the the best way to do that is to go where the money's at. And that was always big dollar bracket racing on the top bulb. You mentioned the bottom ball proclivity, the the versatility of a Scotty Richardson and Peter Biondo, I have no doubt that Gary is capable of doing any of that. He just never had to, never, there was never a reason to to prove it, right? So I think that's part of it. Like you say, well, if Gary had done it, I think he could have won five NHRA world championships like Scotty did. I think he maybe could have won seven like Peter did, right? Like the skill set's there. But the fact that those trophies aren't on the mantle, I it matters to me and it matters, I think, to, to, to people of my age and background. And then, and I don't know that it matters as much today because you've got live feeds and you've got social media and you've got drag champ and 
you've got the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to shed light on these things that for years, Gary did not in the dark, right? But with sort of a, like Big Dollar Drag Racing for years had more of a, a cult following, right? And what, when Gary has had, because he's had like Jeff Sarah-esque seasons, right? Like obviously not on the, the financial level that Jeff did a year ago, but we did the, the, we used to do the BT power rankings as part of this is bracketracing.com. And it basically scored points for, for wins on various levels. And you get basically have more points for money one. And I think it was 2012, like Gary doubled the next closest pursuer. Like he had one of those seasons, but I think broadly speaking, it's fair to say that, well, Gary Williams has been like, I think at the end of every season, seemingly for the last two decades, if you said, a, if you had a, okay, rank the, the top 10 drivers of the year, like Gary's in the top five every year, but there were few of those dominant seasons. And when he was dominant, it was 2012 when it just wasn't as big a deal. Like it, it, there wasn't the attention on it. You know, it wasn't about the money. It was more about the attention, right? There wasn't the, like I just said, the, the live feeds, the sports and drag racing podcast, et cetera, et cetera, to, to shine light on what he and, and those people are doing. Um, and then too, like, if I, if I gave a, a third reason that I don't think broadly speaking that he gets put on that level, I think part of it is Troy. Like they get lumped together because they're both so freaking good that I think the accomplishments kind of get mixed. The expectations go up like, oh yeah, just another Williams winning, right? Like, I mean, I guess Scotty and Edmund had the same type of dynamic and maybe that, that'd be a fascinating um, debate as well. It's like, you know, who's the best brother duo in history? I mean, with all respect to Peter and Sal, like it's gotta be one of those two. It's, it's Scotty and Edmund or it's Troy and Gary. And I don't know where, how you begin to dissect that. Um, but yeah, like I, I think you put all of that together and at least for me, as much respect as I have for Gary, like I just, I, maybe I over deify Scotty and Peter, but I, I don't, I don't, I think Gary Williams could go like win the next $3 million races and I'd have a hard time saying he's the best. Like, and that's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we, we named Troy the best big money bracket racer in history many shows ago just because of his decades long dominance that he's had uh, gary could easily be called that at this point as well uh, if 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 it's not gary it's troy and if it's not troy it's gary over the last 25 plus years so both of those guys have accomplished a lot and i think it really just hits home what you said a little bit ago about how they get lumped together um they they it's you know it's the williams brothers it's constantly the williams brothers while that's incredible what he and his brother have accomplished that's amazing it also does seem like luke it could take a little bit away from what each of those guys have accomplished because they both have done unbelievable things in our sport and yeah that that might have happened to Scotty and Edmund too. Uh, I'm sure it has, but um, I I think that it might uh, diminish a little bit how much they should be recognized. The Williams brothers individually, how much they should be recognized for what they've done, and you know that that's stuff that won't ever be done again by a by a couple of brothers. I mean, Jack and Gary might do it one day, but 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know how long they got to have to race to accomplish what these boys have done. And um, while Gary might not ever get to the best ever in a lot of minds, I can definitely see where he has in a lot of minds, especially in a world of social media where people that are on social media grew up with social media. And that's really all they've ever known is social media and cell phones. So Gary's been the guy that they've watched from the time they were able to, to start watching racing and to, to most of the people doing those nominations online, he's the guy, he's the one that they've seen, you know, yourself, Troy, they didn't get to watch Anthony Bertozzi and Scotty and Edmund and, and all those guys do what they did. And Laboose, uh, you know, obviously Laboose has done a lot, either Laboose. But again, neither here nor there. I can definitely understand how anyone would rank Gary uh, number one all time based on what he's done. For me, it's Scotty and, and Peter, uh, as you said, 1A, 1B. Uh, Anthony Bertozzi's way up the list. He's done it bottom bulb top bulb throttle stop you know many what 17 20 i don't know million championships so he's another guy that that's up on that list for me but um but I, it would be hard to argue with anyone under the age of 30 that gary's not the best ever um, because what they've seen he is the best they've seen over that period of their life and i i totally get that so for me, it's PB and SR, but I can definitely see how Gary could hold that top spot for a very large group of people. He's that yeah, damn good. It's a it's a rightful claim to number one. Like the difficulty with Gary's accomplishments is that they're not easy to quantify. Like there's not there's no not good records on big dollar bracket racing. I, I think if you stacked up the number of $30,000 plus to win finals that Gary's been in, like it's undoubtedly more than anyone else. And it might be like double. I mean, it's, it's going to be a crazy number. I remember when we had Troy on a few years ago, not only could he, could he tell you, you know, it was over a dozen at that time and, 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 $30,000 plus finals. And at that time, Gary's record was nearly on. The problem that I think we run into with Gary Williams is that for all the success that he's had, big dollar bracket racing, by and large, and I think this is better now than it's ever been, but that success is just harder to quantify. Like I can go, I can readily find that Peter Biondo's won 50 NHRA national events and seven NHRA world championships. I know that no one's been in more, what, 30 or $50,000 and up finals than Gary Williams. And it might not even be close. Like he might double whoever is next on that list. Uh, it's, there's no doubt that he's been in more of those finals than anyone. And up until a few years ago was nearly unblemished, which is just crazy to think about. You know, it was, Troy was on the podcast with us uh, several years ago talking about how at that time, maybe Gary had been in, I don't know what it was, 14, 18, say $30,000 or more to win final rounds. And he was like 16 and one or something ridiculous, you know, like yeah, that, it was phenomenal. There's been some regression to the means in, in recent, in, in recent years, but that stuff is, is the stuff of legend 
But again, like it's just not readily available. How would you even go about researching something like that? So I just think it's, it's definitely subjective. It's hard to put apples to apples. And it's really difficult at this point to even get a valid resume. Like that would take un, uh, an immense amount of work to just try to figure out what's what. But so it's, it's super subjective, but I'm, I'm with you for whatever it's worth. I don't know that I'll, in my lifetime, I'll, I'll put anyone on the same plane with Peter and Scotty. So I don't know if that's right, wrong, or indifferent, but that's where I'm at. Now I get that totally. And again, I understand the other side of that as well. Good discussion. Um, that wraps up the fling talk, Luke. Um, it was a great event. I, we didn't talk about car count, but I, I think I saw around their lowest was maybe 360 to 370. And I think they had uh, slightly upwards of 400, maybe 410 or so on their biggest day. So really good, uh, good event there for Peter and the, and the fling staff in Galat. They did a great job with it. So congrats to all involved. Uh, Luke, let's let's talk a little bottom bulb explosion. Uh, oh this yeah, is, this is obviously an event that we uh, we hyped up on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. When we had John Moggins on. Uh, you and John co-promoted this event. Uh, I think he reached out to you last year and said, you know, I want to want to do something really special for the bottom bulbers out here in Mid America at Mid America. And, uh, and just show people that it can and will work if we do it right. And it looks like you guys did it right. It, it looked like a really, really good event. Uh, some things that, that happened that we're going to talk about that we wish had not happened, but outside of one incident or so, it, it looks super strong. You had some great racing out there, Luke. Yeah, a little bit biased, but I'll say, yeah, it was 100% an awesome event um, and and largely an unprecedented event or completely an unprecedented event. Like it's rare to get big dollar bracket racing in the state of Kansas, regardless of the format that you're talking about. Um, and it's unprecedented to have a big dollar or at least that level of money thrown around in a bottom bowl race. It was just two 10 granders, which this side of the country, we get a little bit jaded. But especially for the bottom in that part of the country, that had never happened. And, and the assumption was like, it's not going to work. And it worked. Like we had uh, 230 entries in, uh, in Saturday's 10 grander, which is phenomenal. Like it, 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 it you, and you were in the middle of nowhere, for lack of a better term, like Mid America Dragway, awesome facility. Um, I hadn't been there in over a decade. And the Maybrier family that bought the place sunk a lot of money into it. It's a whole new track surface, <clears throat> great concession stand just a, a great small facility. It's, it's an old airport runway and it's laid out kind of funky and it's in the middle of <clears throat> the Kansas plains and it's windy and it's crazy, but it's a really smooth racetrack with an Aki time timing system. Like it's got everything that you need to go compete and to have a good race. And the bottom ball racers in that region, cause it, it wasn't even that area. Like we had a lot of travelers really showed up to support it in droves. So um, great event. Moggins did a great job that the crew at Arc City, I say Arc City, that's, that's where Mid-America Dragway is located, Arkansas City, Kansas. Um, that crew is incredible, like not only um, passionate and hardworking, but I had never been around a race crew with so much racing IQ. Like there was very little standing over the shoulder that needed to happen on John Rye's part. Like there, there were racers that get it and that goes a long way. And then obviously the, the crowd itself, the racing was incredible as you've come to expect, uh, you know, watching your foot breakers and watching bottom ball racing in general, it is cutthroat. Um, 
And it was just, it was a really fun atmosphere across the board. So it was awesome. Um, the, the competition on track, it was in Kansas, but you wouldn't know it looking at the results. It was very Texas dominant, um, headlined by Aaron Jones, uh, a racer that you're very familiar with, Jed. Aaron and Jeff Rydell, who traveled together um, and, and our best of friends, they absolutely put on a show. Aaron Jones, Wednesday one, knocked off Jeff Rydell in the semifinal. Uh, before defeating Jamie Peach in the final, Peach in his uh, stock eliminator um, machine that doing big wheelies, like doing the whole stalker thing. You can't bracket race your stalker. Don't tell Jamie that. It was pretty impressive the show that he was putting on. Ends up running up to Aaron Jones on day one. Then that Jones and Rydell tandem comes back around on day two in the $10,000 main event. <clears throat> this time they're not paired with each other in the semis. So they go ahead and dispatch those opponents and meet back up in the final where Rydell turned the tables. Uh, and on day two, it was Jeff Rydell getting the win over Aaron Jones. Those two showed out. We had a team competition. Those two were on a team paired with Chad Sandlin, who went a ton of rounds, uh, expectedly. Cal Rumley, who went a ton of rounds, and they absolutely ran away with the team portion. I think they may have doubled up the next closest uh, competitor. So really impressive performance by, uh, by the Texans. Yeah, Luke, I noticed that the, the Texas crowd was uh, pretty strong there. And it got me thinking and I meant to do a little research just because, you know, guy like me thinks the only, the only place in Texas is Dallas. That's where everybody travels from. So I was going to do Dallas to, to Arkansas city, Kansas. Five hours. To try to, Not as far as you'd think. Five hours. Wow. Yeah. Five hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I raced Aaron Jones at the footbreak 150 in Gulfport, Mississippi. And to, in my head to even think a guy could race there and Kansas in the same season would be impossible, but five hours is, is not that far at all. Actually, that's how long it takes me to get to Gulfport. So cool deal. And it looked like everybody had a great time. I did see the, the Aaron Jones and peace final round. I, I thought it was really cool. I think the stalker uh, entry was, uh, racing for a potential $2,000 bonus. If I remember correctly, if a stalker won one of the races, they got a $2,000 bonus, I guess. So he was racing for that, but Aaron Jones uh, quickly put an end to that and got the win light, but, um, save John and I two grand, not that we'd ever root against Jamie. <laughs> of, course <not. laughs> of course not, but it never hurt to save a couple of grand, but, um, you know, again, super strong event. It looked like everybody had a wonderful time. I've seen, a lot of posts thanking you and John for for the event and a lot of posts um, basically saying uh, can't wait till next year. I don't know if you guys have even thought about those type of discussions yet about what the future holds for the bottom bulb explosion. But um, look, everything I could see, it looked like for sure you'd you'd try that again. Yeah, we haven't really had those discussions, but given the success of the event and the positive feedback and could be completely frank just how much fun it was it's hard to imagine not running it back in in some form um i said on track results largely texas dominant um the the one non-texan that that got in and claimed a piece of that pie how about young carson wheeler carson has made a name for himself in top bulb competition he hit the bottom and uh he ended up winning our uh our it ended up being a $3,000, um, Bob Moggins Memorial event. Uh, we were supposed to have two separate gamblers races. We got winded out Friday. That's a thing in Kansas. And when I tell you, we got winded out, like there was no racing. It was 40 plus mile an hour headwind, like ridiculous. Yeah. Just nuts. And and everybody there, it was like, yeah, you know, I, I called it windy. They called it Friday. 
It's just, just Kansas, <laughs> right? So we ended up combining those races, but Carson Wheeler, not only did he win in a car that I don't believe he had driven prior to the weekend, he was driving um, uh, Shane Wood's little Mustang and letting go on the bottom and turned it loose double O like five or six of the eight rounds of that race. Like it was nuts what it, the show that he was putting on. And so I was like, man, I don't give you any credit. I didn't realize you were a bottom ball racer. It turns out it's the fifth time he's at the bottom of his life. Oh my goodness. Very, wow. very talented young man. Uh, Carson, Weaver. he got the, that, uh, <clears throat> that bonus race win over the aforementioned Chad Sandlin, uh, but did so in really impressive fashion. In fact, I believe he was like six total in the final. Um, so yeah, the, the, the one non-Texan to really cash in was, was Carson. And then he advanced to the semifinals in the, uh, in the second 10 grander as well. So putting on a show. Yeah. And had to get by a Texan to get his win. So uh, Texas really showed out there, but that's no surprise. There's a ton of bottom bulb talent out there, obviously top bulb as well, but bottom bulb talent in Texas is super strong. Great crowd, Luke, great event. Congratulations to you and John. And uh, certainly look forward to, to hearing more about your guys plans in the future but and i won't call this marred because i easy for me to say uh, that it's it wasn't marred but there was an incident there on the track um i guess in the the last day that nobody ever wants to see it was two really high quality pieces of equipment that that got beat up there in that final tell us a little bit about who that was and you know just to just as transparent as you can be about what happened yeah so it's um i believe it was third or fourth round of that memorial race it was late saturday night after aaron jones had won the first 10 grander and um it was the pairing was steve stockton heavy heavy hitter trans break bottom bulb guy out of wisconsin uh, up against scooter hamlin another heavy heavy hitter foot break bottom bulb guy out of texas and to your point, Stockton's, it's a Vega, right? Vegas can only be so nice. I get it, right? But it, it's a badass Vega. And, and Scooter Hamlin Chevy 2, which if you've ever seen it, is show car quality. We, we had several yeah. amazing, like, you know, 66, 67 Chevy 2s on the grounds. None nicer than Scooter Hamlin's. <clears throat> As the race develops, um, I don't know exactly uh, what happened at the finish line, but Steve Stockton definitely dropped and, and Miles Prower shows that. Um, but I don't know if he necessarily lost control when he hit the brakes or if when he hit the brakes, something broke, but it was a very immediate hard dart to the right. Steve was in the left lane and just immediately right into the, the driver's side door of Scooter Sam, Scooter Hamlin Chevy 2. I mean, direct hit, like right at Scooter. And then the aftermath of that, it pushed Scooter into the wall. He caromed over into the other wall. Stockton barrel rolled a couple of times. Uh, I, Stockton's car definitely destroyed Scooter's car, not in great shape at all. And, and it's a shame to see two beautiful cars. But the, the moral of the story, two guys walked away. Like I talked to them minutes after the incident. Um, I talked to them the next day and they weren't near as sore as I would have anticipated for the, the hit that they took. So Yes, it sucks to lose two unbelievable race cars in that manner. But ultimately, Alan Reinhardt has said this before, like the, the ultimate job of any race car is to protect whoever's driving it. And in that respect, those two race cars 100% did their job. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, a sour note for the event. You hate to see that all the way across the board. And But 
the bottom line is Steven Scooter came out of that unscathed and ultimately that's all that matters. That is all that matters. And, uh, you know, you hate to see any, any cars get torn up, especially, you know, those are two high quality race cars. The, the Vega Steve Stockton, as you said, it was really nice, very well built and, uh, and Scooter's car super nice as well. You know, for me, every incident on the track these days gets immediate judgment you know uh, oh yeah man he was killing the brakes down there he just got dangerous and steve stockton is a very talented racer that i have watched race quite a bit never seen him do anything crazy or dumb um so the, you know that part of me wants to just feel like for sure something let go something broke and and cause that because it was just immediate hard right what i saw in the video and uh and i hate that i hate it for for steve because he's got nice equipment and he knows how hard it is to to get your stuff that nice and he knows that uh you know he damaged a super nice car as well so i don't know i don't know how those discussions go and how you feel but steve's a, a good dude a real good dude and I know he's feeling really bad but at the same time, I feel terrible for the Hamlin family. Um, you know, Daryl Sr. Uh, works hard to, to give Scooter really nice stuff. And that car meant a lot to them uh, outside of just what the value is. Uh, you know, just the sentimental value of that particular car was very important to them. And, and I, I, what I've seen, they're going to try to rebuild. So I hope that happens and I hope they get it back where it was or better one day. And uh, I certainly hope Steve, you know, can get himself back on the racetrack sometime soon as well. But uh, those, those type of incidents typically get, a, again, a lot of judgment. But I, I would just caution everybody to, to not necessarily think it was some kind of heinous, crazy thing that happened um you know because of a super aggressive racer steve knows how to drop and drop safely and i i'm just going to let that guide my thoughts and say that yeah something probably let go and got out of his control and you know it's a, it's a shame that it happened the way it did but uh, as as you stated luke the main thing is that both of them got out both of them were safe car did its job Unfortunately, they are built to wreck. All those bars are in there to, to wreck, not just ride around. And that happened, and the cars saved the drivers, and they got out and walked away and, and lived to talk about it. So that is most important, and uh, certainly wish both of them well in their, their rebuilding efforts, whether it's the car that got damaged or something new. Hated to see it. Yeah, it's obviously a bad deal. To your point, it's a difficult situation. I mean, if you can just think through putting yourself in either of their shoes, like that's awful. Like trying to to deal with that from either side is not not something that anyone envies. And and I'll echo your sentiments too. In in watching <clears throat> that round progress and watching Steve Stockton in general, like he's in a five sixty Vega, right? Um, but in my experience, like he, and, and he's a, he drives the finish line extremely well and he, but he drives the finish line as if he was driving a 560 Vega. Like there's nothing super aggressive. Like, not, you know what I mean? There's, you could drive a, you drive a golf cart going 125 mile an hour. And like, you have to be respectful of that. 
And my impression always was that, that Steve was and is. And to your point, exactly what he told me afterwards. He's like, I don't know what happened. He said, did I hit the brakes? Yes. Have I hit the brakes just like that hundreds of times in the past with no incident? Yes. So I, I don't know what happened. And, and I, I, I trust his instincts and his ability to drive that car. Like it just goes to show that what we do is inherently, we don't think about it. Right. But there's inherent danger involved. And I don't care how you try to um, mitigate it. You can't legislate when the rules are that if you go too fast, you lose people are going to slow down before the finish line. Like you, I've said it for years. You can't legislate that out of our sport. And it is a chance that we take on both ends. Scooter said the same thing afterwards. He's like, look, you know, I mean, I hate that I'm in this position, but that could have just as easily been me. Like that's part of the game. And I don't know that that's the outlook that's shared by all, but I think it's a very healthy outlook to have. Yep. Very well said. And and I learned a long time ago, you don't have to wreck to be in a wreck. And uh, certainly, you know, even if you think your car is the safest there is, and you think that you're driving is as good as there is uh, something like that happens, nobody can react to it. And everybody's going to, going to fall victim to the, the results of something like that. So uh, just, just another reminder to be prepared for the worst because it can happen at any time. Uh, Luke, one of the, I'm sorry, do you have a, a, something else you want to say about that? I think that? we were going to go in the same direction, so go for it. Okay, so one of the races that we previewed in the last show to get uh, get our listeners ready for the results that they were going to hear about was um, the, uh, the class racer reunion at uh, St. Louis or, uh, or what's it, what's it called? Worldwide technology or. Yeah. Yeah. And you had the, you had the right R word class racer revival. Yes. Yes. What I say reunion. Yeah. Say reunion and a revival. I'm Baptist. So they're kind of the same thing, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> class racer revival. My apologies. Hey, Moggins called our race, the bottom bulb showdown all weekend. I'm like, you name the damn thing. It's the bottom bulb <laughs> explosion, right? <laughs> Yeah, easily, uh, easily messed up. But nonetheless, uh, uh, Brian Whitworth and uh, Tyler Bohannon uh, co-promote the uh, Class Racer Revival. And that was an event that was a little bit on life support in the weeks prior to this decision being made. But when they let people know that it was kind of on life support, I think the support just flowed in tremendously and, uh, and got them at full speed ahead to have the event and and it was going to be a really good one at that and then uh, mother nature uh, got involved in uh, a, a really bad forecast for the the primary days of the event forced those guys to make the, the always extremely difficult decision to postpone the 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 word cancel gets used a lot this is postponed this is pushed to another date and i don't know if that date's been announced yet but once it it all gets announced and finalized. We'll certainly uh, do our part here on the show to, to let people know when and where they can attend that. Yeah, no, it, uh, I, I won't speak to the, <clears throat> the details. The, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not privy to that information. My impression, Jed, was 100% that they had the support necessary to, to make this a go. 
the the forecast and then the resulting weather. I don't know exactly what it was like in St. Louis. We live two hours from there and I know it rained here all weekend. Uh, so I don't think there was much hope of getting that race in. And if <clears throat> we were any indication in Kansas of the participation ready for the class racer revival, um, we had multiple calls um, after that race was canceled asking about <clears throat> the race in Kansas and we probably, Jimmy Peach was one, like they were going to St. Louis. I bet we had a dozen cars that made the nine hour tow or, you know, presumably nine hour tow from St. Louis to Kansas to come to our race. So if there's a dozen that, that made that tow that we're wanting to race that bad, I think it's fair to say that the stock super stock crowd was planning, preparing to come out in droves where they just didn't make it possible. So I hope that there is a window in the schedule <clears throat> where that event can be rescheduled uh, because I think without a doubt that it'll be successful. Um, on the NHRA tour, we had action as well. I'll get to this last four wide nationals in Charlotte. I didn't have a ton of, of takeaways. As you know, Big Jed, I, I tend to hone in on the super classes and specifically the super class finals, pretty nasty. Um, super comp. How about our man, little caboose, John Laboose Jr. He's 16, take nine super comp final. No good. Michael Hondras, 17 total to win his first NHRA national event. And Rusty Cook said, okay, Caboose, I can take that. I can do you one better. In the final of Supergas, Rusty, seven take nine. No good. Beside Craig Porter, Porter was 15 on the tree and under. If you do the math, that put, put Rusty Cook 1,000th further under. So a couple of nasty superclass finals in Charlotte. I did think it was notable in his first NHRA national event appearance since uh, the death of his father, Monty Joe Bogan, made a run at what would have been a really memorable um, double. Uh, he had both cars in stock and super stock in on Sunday at Charlotte. He ended up turning on red lights in both cars in the semifinal round. That would have been a really, I'm sure it was a special weekend period. Um, but in your first event, like those two have been inseparable for as long as I had known Monty Joe, right? Um, for your first event without your father that, that you'd race with forever, um, you know, to make a run that deep, pretty impressive. It looked like he met it coming on in one class super stock maybe, and then followed that up by going a thou red in the other tough way to end, but pretty impressive performance from Monty Joe. Yeah. I followed that, uh, that journey with him a little bit, uh, through Facebook and, uh, you know, you could just tell how much it meant to, to Monty Joe to his first time out without his father and, um, you know, making a run in both categories, obviously come up a little short there. And I'm, I'm sure that pegged the emotion meter as well when that was all said and done. But really, uh, hats off to him to, to get back out there. He's, he's done this at a very high level for a long time. Very talented and capable racer and to get back out there without uh, without his main man his father by his side and uh, hold his emotions together well enough to to make a deep run in both of those categories was uh, was pretty darn impressive and I uh, can't wait to see Monty Joe get that first win uh, post uh, dad passing away and and uh, the how he will use that to honor his late father and and what he meant to his racing operation and his life in general so um Pulling for you, Monty Joe. Hope that happens real soon, bud. Another very uh, popular win, I think, from uh, Charlotte Competition Eliminator winner, Tom Ratliff. Tom's been at this a long time. One of the most likable men at the racetrack. I believe that was his first national event victory. So shouts to Tom. He was joined in the winner's circle by the aforementioned Michael Hondras, 
Craig Porter, Jason Bador, was your winner in Super Street, Scott Neal in Top Dragster, Joe Lisa in Superstock, Darren Poole Adams in Stock Eliminator. Yeah, Darren Poole taking the copo and getting it done in stock. That was really cool to see. I think uh, Darren owns two of those. Um, um, our man uh, Foley, Steve Foley, drives the other one, and I think Steve was in late as well. So I think those uh, those guys were trying to to take two of them real deep in the show. But good job, Darren Poole Adams. That was a, a big win for him, and certainly Joe Lisa. I mean, the other winners are awesome too, but Joe Lisa. Uh, guy that has done this well for quite some time. Happy to see Joe get back in the winner's circle as well. Luke, I guess that about wraps us up, bud. I think uh, I think this one's coming to an end. Um, you know, a lot of good racing, a lot of a lot of good topics, but uh, overall, this uh, this podcast pretty much had uh, some some real sensitive stuff in it, and uh, and a lot of good stories as well so it's kind of what the, what the show was built on right here this this type show is what we were built on as uncomfortable as it can be for the the co-hosts here it's uh it needed to be talked about and it was a really good show and i'm sure going to these type of shows tend to get some opinions posted so i can't wait to hear and see what I said wrong or what you disagreed with or what you disagreed with with Luke or agreed with with either of us. We've got a platform that allows you to do that. And that's the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. That's a place where you can go. And, you know, if we said it wrong, you can tell us exactly what we missed right there on the podcast Facebook page. And again, that's good discussion. It's good discussion in sport we're all going to be respectful with our thoughts and we're all going to going to you know give our opinion the right way so there's your platform go to the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page tell us what you liked what you didn't like put it out there for everybody to see so we can get some discussion going and and maybe we all learn something from it and we all get better as a result but nonetheless that's a platform for you to do that and we uh if we we want you to do it but if you choose to do it through private message you can do that and producer Mark will snag that up and, and shoot it to us and tell us uh, exactly what you had to say. So go to the, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page and tell us exactly what you think about this episode. Luke, it's time for shouts. I don't have the typical shouts this week. I, don't, I didn't keep a running ledger. I, on, a, on a semi-serious note, I got to follow up. I, I screwed up. Um, I think it was last week's episode. We we got to breaking down the uh, the the top dragster points battle early on. You know the way too early standings, and I said Wayne Landry's undefeated in national event competition. I misspoke. Wayne Landry did win the Gator Nationals. He was in the final at Houston, but he lost that final to Mark Jones. Mark Jones was your top dragster winner at Houston. Had a number of listeners bring that to my attention. So I screwed up. Sorry, Mark. I love you, Mark. Congratulations on your win. And uh, I, I did want to uh, come back on and make that right. Uh, it's one in, one in a, probably a long list of things that we get wrong occasionally. Uh, appreciate the listeners letting us know. Yeah, there's obviously going to be a little issue here or there with, uh, with correct results enrollment in this is bracket racing elite is now open you've heard me discuss or at least reference this is bracket racing really elite it is the premier offering of our website this is bracket 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.